I want to say the, you know, the excitement of God um, bringing through new people and young leaders and all that stuff and then talk about money are not two different things. You know, they're both, we're, both of those things we're talking about the mission of God, what God's doing, God building this church, God doing great stuff. And so um, we're going to look today at, at how we give sacrificially for God's mission. And um, I just want to say out the gates, you know, there's a lot of problems with this. Um, and if you're not a Christian and you just stumbled in here, you know, you thought you were getting free food or something like that, we, we just want to say, first of all, we're really excited you're with us. And I don't, feel, um, I don't feel like, oh, shame, you came on a Sunday, we're talking about money. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm glad you're here And when we're talking about money. Because m- this whole thing is one of, one of the biggest objections people have to Christianity, is how Christians and churches handle money, right? And, they, and for good reason. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff. You could just turn on TV, late night, Christian television, and just, it is crazy, the stuff that goes on there. Um, and so we, we are glad that you're here to hear about this. And when we ever, we talk about money, there's, there's always some pushback, you know, there's, there's always somebody saying, oh, this is all they want for us, you know, here we go again, you know, Jesus never talked about money, all these churches talk about his money, and so I'm going to try to address some of those concerns as best as I can, but first, let's read some scripture. Um, we're going to read uh, from a, a letter that Paul, one of the letters Paul writes to a church in a town called Corinth. Now, um, this is the second letter Paul has written to them, and Paul really loves these guys. Um, he cares a lot about them. He writes to them. He loves them. He, 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 in the beginning of, of First Corinthians, you know, the very beginning, he's writing just how he thanks God for them every day. I mean, he really, so I'm trying to help you, to, try not to read ahead too fast there. I'm trying to help you see that the person writing this letter cares very deeply for these people. You know, imagine someone writing a letter to someone they love. That's what this is. And so let's pick up in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. He says, we want you to know, to the Corinthians, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing to the Corinthians, but he brings up the Macedonians. All right, where's this going? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I, as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected. But then they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to the, to the, by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, back to the Corinthians, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and love, and, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say it not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, so remember what's happening. Paul loves the Corinthians. And Paul sits down and says, I'm going to write the Corinthians a letter. And so he writes him a letter. And in the middle of a letter to the Corinthians, he starts talking about the Macedonians. Doesn't that feel a little awkward? Um, ladies, just, just hang with me for a second. Say you're, you know, you've got a special guy friend, and this guy, you know, you kind of wonder what's going on, and then he writes you a letter, and you're like, this is amazing. No one writes letters anymore, right? I forgot that even happened. And you get a letter, and, you know, you open it up, and you start reading. He's like, you're great. You're wonderful. You smell nice. And then he's like, and by the way, you know, that other girl, she's really great, and we tell you about her for a little bit. Like, wait a second. This is odd, right? This is, at best, you know, you start to think, you know, maybe you should have typed this up and emailed it, so you could have sort of reread through it and deleted this part. Um, Imagine you're a guy, and you're like a soldier, and you're at war 
door and you get that letter and it smells like perfume, that whole sort of thing. And, and then, you know, in the middle of that, you know, this, this, this woman who you left behind starts talking about another guy. And then she's talking about you and then she's talking about this other guy. It's, it's weird. I want you to feel this is weird. It's weird for the Corinthians. But, hey, Paul wrote us the letter. Remember, Paul loves us. Look at this letter he wrote us. Why is he talking about those guys, right? That's what it feels like, right? It is, it is a little awkward. And here's the thing. Nobody likes to be compared to someone who's killing it at something. No one wants to be compared to someone who is just doing way better than them. Nobody. Um, I am um, not a, a fitness guru, as you can tell. And uh, we, we showed up at a, a house one night to pick up some oysters. I, like I said, I live on a little island town. And the guy we show up there, he is like fit, man. I mean like fit. And he's wearing like these little running shorts and no shirt on. And we start pulling in the driveway and I told my wife, you close your eyes. You close them right now. I am your standard of beauty. All right? And I don't need to be compared to that. Right? So um, that's kind of what I want you to feel here is the, is the Macedonians were making the Corinthians look bad. They were like supermodel, like a supermodel church when it came to this. But, but he's writing to the Corinthians. Why bring this up? What's Paul doing? Does that sound like a good thing to do, Paul? Gosh, does it sound, does, is that, maybe it's just manipulating. You know, what is that? See, comparison or contrasting two things can be good or bad. It can be helpful or unhelpful. And if Paul's goal in this whole, let's bring up the Macedonians thing, was to arouse a sense of, uh, uh, you know, of competition between brothers, well, then that's, that's bad. But, but if Paul's goal is to hold up a measure of what healthy looks like, let's see what healthy looks like, and then compare it to them to reveal how, how they were unhealthy, that's incredibly loving. Imagine you, you fell down and your arm was really hurting. You go into the doctor and he's like, well, we're going to do an x-ray. You're like, okay, cool. You know? And then he shows you a picture of your arm and then he brings up a picture of another arm and your arm's clearly got a big crack in it and this arm doesn't. You're like, hey, I don't want to be compared to that guy. Like, I just love me for who I am. You know? No, we have to show you or you get your cholesterol checked. You know? Well, you know, like, I, the, the whole point of showing you that, that this is what healthy looks like it can be very loving if it's saying, hey, but see, you're unhealthy. This is what healthy looks like. You need to see what healthy really looks like. If all you see is yourself, you, you don't ever know. We had no reason to believe Paul's going from church to church, risking his life, getting stoned, getting beat, getting thrown in jail, on and on and on, so that everybody would engage in rivalry. We, we, have, we, have, no, we have no reason to believe that. What we see Paul do is challenge norms to bring change. He, he wants them to consider important things to make changes. The Corinthians were, were seemingly just crushing it in some areas. You're good at this. You're good at this. You're good at this. You know what you need to also do? Be good at this. Paul's not happy just because a whole bunch of these things are great. He says, look, there's an area, there's an area of your life, there's an area of, of the way that you, you, you are living that does not make sense in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so we're going to talk about it. So he shows them a church that's doing a great job. Well, what were they doing so great? They did a lot of things great. Um, he talks about a lot of this stuff. They gave themselves firstly to the Lord, which is awesome, because Paul is this compelling, just giant of a character. You know, it would be very easy for them to first give themselves to Paul and then to the Lord, but he says, you know what they did? They gave themselves first to Jesus, which is awesome. And then they gave themselves to us, which, which is awesome, right? But, but what specifically helps us today as we consider this? Um, they, he says they, they knew the grace of giving generously. That's what they were doing. That was so great. They knew the grace of giving generously. When we think about what a church is doing, how, how a church is doing, 
you know, we probably think, you know, from the outside in, well, how is, you know, we may think, how is the church spending money? How much money does the church give away to the, to the poor? How much money does the church give away to, you know, the nations? How, how, how is that? How, how do they do, you know, is the, is the guy leading it living in like the biggest mansion in town? I mean, we, we might think of that, but we probably never think, when we think about how is a church doing, we probably never think of, of necessarily how the people in the church, you know, the people just kind of coming and, and going, how they're doing, right? We probably never think of that. Paul did. He thought it was as, inv- as valuable as any other subject. And he, he states clearly, you know, um, also in, this, in, you know, in a letter to the Corinthians, everything he does, he does, he says, for the sake of the gospel. The reason is that I, I do all that I do, the reason I write you these letters, and, and even this, even the reason I bring this up, it's because of the gospel. And so he says here, he says, it's about the grace of God. I don't want you to miss out on the grace of God. And so he says, you know, in 2 Corinthians 8.1, we, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches. And he, he says again in verse 7, as you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, and all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's saying this is like, this is great. This is the grace of God. Paul's not trying to manipulate them so he can line his pockets. He's not doing that. Paul's not trying to tell them the secret. You know, if you do this, then you can live a life of materialism. There's no mention of them getting a new Mercedes if they give. None of that stuff's happening here. Paul says what Jesus has done in his life and his death and his resurrection gives us grace and that affects how we give to. Jesus didn't die for his church and pour out grace on her so she could hoard it for herself. He gave her grace so she could give grace. The Macedonian church is a great example of what it looks like to be vessels of the grace of God in our giving and, um, you know, it's so, it's so helpful for us to realize this. He says it plainly. These guys weren't Rockefellers. You know, this wasn't like Bill Gates. And um, by the way, Bill Gates gave a whole bunch of money. You know, they weren't investors from Shark Tank. You know, th- this, 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 is, this is brutal, this example, okay? I've already tried to help you see so far. I mean, you're the Corinthians, and this guy who loves you writes you a letter about another church. That's already awkward. And, then he, and, and the people he chooses is just unbelievable, the Macedonians were undergoing extreme poverty and affliction. We uh, spent some time over the last um, couple of days praying and, and, and sending money to um, our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine who are going through a really hard time right now. And, uh, you know, government shutting down buildings, you know, people freezing to death, starving to death. Imagine if we got a letter, you know, from someone else. Hey, you know, Jubilee Church, love you so much while you're doing great in some of these things. By the way, the Ukrainian guys are giving way more money than you are. What's up with that? <laughs> right? That's kind of how it feels. These are the ones, the Macedonians are like the Ukrainian guys right now. They're the ones who need the charity. It's embarrassing. It's a slap in the face if you're in the Corinthian church. It's a slap in the face that the Macedonians are the example of financial generosity. They had every excuse not to give. I mean, Paul... You know, hey, we'd love to help. Gosh, you know, we would. But Paul, we're, you know, we're under extreme poverty and affliction. You know, there's got to be someone out there who can give this money. That's what they could have said. Imagine yourself going, how dare Paul? How dare him go and coerce, coerce, coerce those poor people, shake them down for their little money they have? How dare him? Right? And Paul won't let us even go there. Paul says in verses 3 through 4, look, out of their own accord... Right? They, 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 begged, they begged for this. 
He is like, he knows what this is going to sound like. Like he went and shook down these poor people in their affliction. He's like, give us your money. He's like, no, 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 no. This was their idea and they begged us. They begged us. They wanted to do this. What had happened to the Macedonians? They'd been saved by Jesus. The unthinkable had happened. They moved from death to life, from blind to see. They, 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 they went from guilty to innocent, forgiven, given new life, and now they're responding in the only way that really makes sense if that's happened to you and I. Jesus gave me everything. I give everything for Jesus. That's logical. That makes sense, right? So this is not the talk we normally want to hear. I know that. And we get awkward and it comes to talking about money. And, and I, I just want to say, for some of, those, some of those are for good reasons and some of them are for bad reasons. Let me just kind of acknowledge the fact that Christians, we are full of excuses on why we shouldn't give. We're full of excuses. A lot of churches have done really dumb stuff with money. And, um, and I know that helps us. It should help us have a little bit of a radar if we come in and we're like, Okay, you know, like, why, you know, why is the floor made of diamonds? Is that necessary? You know, like, it should help with a little bit of discernment, but on the other hand, it can be just, it's just, it can just become excuses for us not to give. You know, like a person's like, oh, you know, everybody's getting divorced, so I better not get married. You know, it's just an excuse for us not to do something because other people have, you know, it's not worked out great. So what are some of the biggest objections to giving to church? Um, I'll go through what I think are, I don't know, the top four or five. Um, number one, I already mentioned this. All churches want is my money. Fair enough. A lot of churches do. Uh, a lot of ministries have been really unhelpful with this. Um, but let me ask you, how much, um, how, how many times should a, a church talk about money on a Sunday? I mean, if you had to choose, how, how many times would a pastor preach on money? I think if we took a survey and said, okay, you know, from, from zero to whatever, how many times a year do you think a pastor should preach on money? I think the, the consensus would be zero, right? I mean, we would be happy for that never to get talked about. Um, if we had it our way, we'd never, we'd, we'd never hear a sermon on giving. Um, but, but we have to talk about this issue because it is, it's, it's a massive issue in our lives. It's one of the biggest indicators of our health. And, and a real relationship with God deals with the real realities of our heart. That's how you know you've got a real relationship with God when he is dealing with stuff you don't want him to deal with, right? If you just come to church and you're like, hey, I got a wicked temper, you know, that it's just, it's not really me, it's, I'm Irish and it's just how it is and that whole thing and, you know, I'm here because I know you guys smile a lot and, you know, if I'm around you enough, this temper will go away. If that's all this is for you, I would say, well, maybe you're going to lose your anger problem, but you're not going to, you're not really getting Jesus, because what Jesus will do is he'll go, yeah, we're going to deal with that anger thing. You know what else we're going to deal with? We're going to deal with this other thing. No, I like that thing. Don't touch it. No, no, no. I, I don't like it. And so we're going to deal with it. Right? That's how you know you've got a real relationship with God. He's dealing with stuff you don't want dealt with. Right? And, and so we have to talk about this stuff because a real relationship with God is going to deal with the realities of our hearts and lives. Okay? Another objection. You know, Jesus never spoke about money. Jesus talked about grace. I hear that. You know, Jesus never did this. He never, I've had leave, people leave our church. Jesus never talked about money. That is not true. Um, let me tell you, Jesus spoke so much about money. 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus taught were about money. That's a lot. That means that if, if Jesus was preaching here every Sunday, once a month in a year, Jesus would be doing a sermon on money. I, I bet you that's more than you hear right now. That's more than I do back home, Right? It's because Jesus loves us. 
He knows that money is an indicator of our health. Um, another objection is, you know that last church that I was at? That's why I left them, because they made me feel guilty. They manipulated me into giving. You know, I think um, part of, part of the, the struggle we have in our country with so many churches and so many just random people leading churches and, you know, so many just unhealthy churches is that a lot of Christians in America, a lot of people in the American church um, become like animals at a humane society that even if someone wants to come and adopt them, wants to love them, wants to take them home and take care of them, they bite them. They're afraid of them because they've been hurt so many times. And I want to recognize as a pastor, and I'm sure I speak for the pastors here, that if you've been hurt, if you've had a bad past church experience, we know, we know that 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 can cause you to put your guard up and not want anyone to care for you, anyone to love you, anyone to lead you. We understand that. But I, I want to just speak some truth and say at some point, you have to forgive those people in your past and you have to move on. Another objection. I was at a church and they wasted my money. I thought I was given to this and it never happened, but then the pastor shows up with gold teeth and a Bentley. What's all that about, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if that's you, you know, I was at a church and they all wasted my money. There's a, there's a lot going on there. I would say, firstly, it's not your money. And, and secondly, it's not a whole lot we can do about that. I mean, we could go like, you know, threaten the guy or whatever. I mean, we, what, what are we supposed to do? You know, what is this church supposed to do if that would be your objection? We can't do anything about that. All we can do is tell you that God requires you to give sacrificially now. And if you can't trust the leaders of this church, go where you can. Don't stay here because you like the music or you like the kids' ministry or the location works for you. I, I want to tell you that um, this church, this church, this is one of the areas where I think this church is the best at. I, I frequently, when I meet church planners, who are going, gosh, I don't know how to do our budget. I don't know how to do their money. I'm telling you, the first church I always tell them to contact is this church. I think these, this church is doing better than any church I've ever seen. We have completely restructured our budget, our salaries, everything, based on what we've learned from this church. Did you know that? Lots of churches do that because of your church. Lots of churches set their finances right based on your church. But, if that's not enough for you and you don't feel these guys spend money wisely and that becomes the reason you don't give, go where you can. Because God calls us to give. And if you're like, I just can't trust these guys, that Brian guy is always buying new hair products and I just can't handle it. <laughs> we needed a joke. It was kind of heavy. When you feel it, like... <laughs> Lighten it up. Anyway. Go where you can give, man. But I can tell you one thing. You won't find a church that handles money better than this church. So, another objection, last one I'll give you is, um, I was told at my last church, this is the objection, that if I gave, I would get whatever I wanted. And it didn't happen. Right? Man, a lot of leaders have done that. A lot of leaders have said, I heard a guy, I heard a pastor say, you know, God is like a, is like a Coke machine. I heard that. God is like a Coke machine. If you put your money in, you know, you push a button, you should get what you want. If you get something you don't want, you say, hey, God, wait a second. I put my money in. I heard that. I was like, you know, I'm going to actually get to see this struck by lightning thing. Like, I, am, am I in the strike range? Like, is this, am I in a safe spot? Is there water around me? Like, I was like, this is the moment. I've always wanted to see what this looks like, right? 
that's not what this church preaches, and we're really sorry you were hurt. You know, and I want to tell you this, you know, all this stuff, sadly, you know what, it's not a new phenomenon that church leaders and churches waste money and do dumb things with it. It's not a new phenomenon that, that church leaders and religious leaders, you know, some of these guys are doing it just so they can, you know, live in a big house. That is not new. That is not modern phenomenon. You know, Paul said there were people in his day who, who used to preach the gospel, he, he said, in quote, for shameful gain. These guys, he said, they're literally preaching for shameful gain. That didn't stop Paul from preaching on it. As sad as all these experiences can be, we've got an obligation to move from the past and give sacrificially now. It's like, you know, a kid falling down. I've got a three-year-old who's running around, like outrunning me now, and I've got a four-month-old who's just kind of like, you know, sort of realizing I'm even alive and um, has just begun to think that I could be of some use to him in his life. Um, But he's going to get to the point where he's going to try to walk, you know. And what if he, like, the first time he did, he fell down, I was like, well, there goes that. Life's going to be tough, but you'll make it, you know. Um, I don't know. I just, I thought you'd be a walker. I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, you fell down. Get up. Just get on up again, right? So, um, these excuses can be very compelling, but they don't get us off the hook. So how do Christians, how should we view money? How should we view giving? I want to say there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. Um, and I, I just want to focus in, because we don't have a ton of time left, on, on, the, on one of the reasons is, is just because we're, we're meant to be generous. Um, you know, we're not just meant to be generous, though, because I'm just going to throw this out there. Because a lot of times it's like, well, just be generous. Fingers crossed, you'll be generous. You know, or I've had people tell me, I'm very generous. I gave once last year, you know, and... and um, I was like, oh, wow, well, you know, God's not just generous. Did you know that? Did you know that God isn't just generous? You know, God sent his only son and then decided that, you know, he would forever make his son the way that we could have access to him. That's not God just being generous. That's also God being faithful, right? God's generous and he's faithful. Thank God, God's faithful, right? And as people... We're not just meant to be generous. We're also meant to be faithful. Ah, uh, once in a while, I'll chuck you guys a bucket, you know, something in the bucket. Ah, uh, good job, everybody. No, no, generous and faithful. So we're going to talk about generous, but just don't forget there's other stuff. So number th- uh, three here, Christians are supposed to give sacrificially. Give generously. The Macedonians gave out of their poverty. It was a way that hurt them. And when we, when we do this, it forces us to rely on God. It moves us from our default position of bowing down to money, which is our default position. We bow down to money as our chief provider. And it moves us to, to see God as our chief provider. I'll give you a, a really awkward moment in Jesus' life. People just miss the awkwardness in the Bible. It is so funny. Just listen to this story. Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus, and he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, pause for a second. I lead a church. We've got these buckets up front, and it is the most awkward thing of the week for me. When people give, I'm just like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not making eye contact. I'm not making eye contact. I don't want to be seen making eye contact. I don't want you to, like, it's so awkward. And Jesus decides, like, here's the bucket. I'm just going to have a seat next to it. I mean, is that not the craziest, awkwardest thing you've ever seen? I mean, can you imagine? I'd be like, I, can you close your eyes or something at least? 
I know you're the son of God, but can you pretend to not know what I'm putting in? It's just weird. It's privacy. It says many rich people put in large sums. And I don't know how we knew that. I don't know if it was like a big bag, like Scrooge McDuck, like, you know, that old thing, or if it was the giant check, you know, the like giant check thing. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know how he knew. I don't know, but he knew there's large sums by rich people. And he knew and everybody else knew. Everybody else could see this, all right? It's happening. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. A penny, right? He called his disciples to him and said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing in the offering box. And I can imagine some of the disciples are thinking, Jesus, you know what? There's some stuff that you are just brilliant on. Gosh, I tell you what. Healing, really your strong suit. Teaching, wow. Bookkeeping, not so much, right? Um, it seems Jesus has no real understanding of math. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, this, this woman did not give more, right? Jesus it's just, it just doesn't work the same here on earth, all right? That's not as the same amount of money. You can feel just this is awkward. And, and Jesus says, see, they, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All that she had to live on. We, I don't, I, it's like embarrassing to read that because I'm like, I don't think I would advise that. That's weird. Gosh, that's crazy. But that's what Jesus said. It's amazing. What, G, what Jesus was pleased by wasn't the size of the gift. What he loved was how, what, it, what he saw in this woman's heart. She trusted God, not money. In the West, we get blind to our dependence on possessions and the ways that we find our identity in them. Usually it's our possessions, not our God in heaven that bring us security, help us sleep at night. I mean, think about it. What if, what if I, you know, what if you found it today that you lost all of your money, you lost your job, you lost your retirement, you lost everything. For some of you guys, that might be your reality. You might be in that situation right now. The economy's turned and that might be where you're at. But say you're not there yet and that, that just happened to you. Imagine that. How much sleep would you lose that night? Man, probably the whole night. Next night, man, maybe that night too. Now, now what if you found out today, hey, by the way, there's no God and there's no heaven or hell. I mean, would you leave, which, which would cause you to stay up at night more? We just miss how dependent we are on our stuff. And when we, when, we, we, when we hear God say, give sacrificially, you know, where the rubber meets the road is how it affects our lifestyle. That's why I think a lot of Christians in America don't give is because we don't want our lifestyle to change. If you're like me, there's probably not a lot of stuff in your life you're willing to give up once you've had it. Now, it's easy for me to be like, Oh, yeah, I don't need a Learjet. I could give that up. That would be nothing at all. Unless you give me a Learjet. And I'm like, I kind of need this. I don't know. I feel like I can see how this could be helpful. You know, a Learjet. I don't want to give it up. I like it. It's mine. You know? Uh, my wife and I, our first apartment, we didn't have a dishwasher. And, uh, and I saw many couples lean over and go, that was us. And then someone, that's still us. What's wrong with you? And um, I, I remember when we first got a dishwasher, thinking, how did our marriage survive? And now thinking about moving somewhere, if they didn't have a dishwasher, I'd be like, gosh, we're going to need counseling because that thing has been so good for us, right? Um, once you've had it, it's very hard to let go of it. And that's the problem. See, you, you don't, we don't need this stuff. Gosh, for thousands of years, people were just fine without dishwashers. But once you get one, you don't want to let go of it, right? That's what, that's what stuff does. Stuff tells you you can't live without me. That's not true. 
Things that used to be luxuries have become essentials. Our grandparents didn't grow up with dishwashers. We can't imagine life without them. See how fast that happens? The internet, gosh, I'm going to just age myself. Cell phones and the internet. When I was a senior in high school, I had a cell phone. I had 45 minutes a month on my plan. And I felt like a rapper. I was like, (laughs) oh yeah, I got a cell phone. And like, it was like, I was like the man. Can you imagine a kid in high school right now having a cell phone with 45 minutes a month on it? I mean, there was no internet. It was, it was, I was a glorified beeper is what I had, right? I'll call you right back. Like, that's, that's, that's all I could do. 45 times a month. Okay, 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 okay. That's, that's all you got, right? And now it's like, you, you got to have this, like, thing that does, that he talks back to you and says, how's your day going? And, you know, would you like me to make you coffee? I mean, it's just this, like, crazy thing. We couldn't live without it. Gosh, can you imagine now? What, what if... You know, what if, what if they took away the internet? Oh my gosh, how are we going to live without it? Probably like we lived for, I don't know, thousands and thousands of years without it. It's not bad to have nice things. It's terrible for things to have us. Guys, this, this deals with one of Jesus' biggest concerns for you and I as Christians. And that is this. Christians are not supposed to love money. Christians are not supposed to love money. It's one of the biggest pitfalls for the Christian is the love of money. You need to know this, that Jesus, Jesus himself, when he thinks about what competes over your heart and my heart, what competes with Jesus over our hearts? Jesus says, money. That's my chief competition. I'll read it to you. Matthew 6, 24. No one, not you, not me, not anyone, can serve two masters, Jesus says, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve God and money. Isn't that weird? Don't you expect Jesus to say, you can't serve two masters. You can serve me, or you can serve Satan, and that's your choice. We expect that, right? I, I expect to read that. I'm a little like, I think you forgot about the devil. I feel like he's like, I feel like he should be listed here, you know? Um, and, and here's the thing. It's too, it would be too obvious if that was it. Uh, which one would you like to choose? A is Jesus. B is the devil. Well, I don't know. I think we're going with A, right? Jesus. I, I hope this teaches you something. This was very helpful for me. Satan does not steal our hearts away from Jesus by causing us to fall in love with him. Satan will never steal our hearts away from Jesus towards him by causing us to fall in love with him. He, he is never going to go like, oh, you know, like, so you like crosses. What about pentagrams, right? <laughs> oh, you know, coming to church meetings, sacrificing goats. Huh, come on, let's do it. That's never, that's never how it works, all right? Now, now, let's just get serious. Satan pulls our hearts away from Jesus, not by causing us to fall in love with him, but by causing us to fall in love with anything but Jesus. Satan pulls our hearts away from Jesus by causing us to fall in love with anything but Jesus. Macedonians were doing better than the Corinthians because they were begging to give sacrificially towards the gospel. The Corinthians were good in faith and good at speech and good at knowledge and good at earnestness. They're they're doing great. But this one last thing Paul says. Paul says, just one last thing. You know what's funny? It's always the last thing. Right? I mean, that's like the old preacher's line. Like, the last thing Jesus ever gets is your wallet. 
He gets a whole bunch of stuff before he ever gets to your checkbook. Paul says, look, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this. One last thing. Maybe for some of you here, it's like the last frontier. You know, the, the last thing Jesus is, you know, oh, he got my speech, he got me in purity, he got me in faith, he got me in going to church, he got me in community. God, I don't want to give him my money, though. It's like your last thing. Jesus says our heart and our treasure is connected. And some of you guys, you might get mad from all this and you might leave this church. And I'll tell you what, if Jesus has saved you, you can leave here because we're talking about money. But if God's like on you about like how you handle your money, I, I bet you're going to go to the next church and they're going to, first sermon, hey, guess what we're talking about money. Oh gosh, I'm out of here. Next church, money. God, God, God himself wants us to deal with this because he loves us and he cares about us. Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, as Christians, we can get so subjective. I don't, where's my heart, Lord? Where is it? Is it like with you? Is it for you? And, and Jesus said it's so easy. If you just pull your wallet out and just put it to your ear, you'll, you'll hear where your heart is. <laughs> We've got this thing we do as kids at the beach. You've probably done this if you've ever been to a beach. These big conch shells or whelk shells. And if you, if you listen to them, you can hear the ocean. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, it's not so subjective. Where's my heart? I don't know. I think it's in a good place. Jesus said, just take your wallet out. Have a listen. That's where your heart's at. And pastors have done this so wrong. Manipulated people use money to fuel their own kingdoms rather than wisely advance the gospel. But don't think that bad pastors do that and good pastors don't talk about money. Bad pastors and good pastors talk about money a lot. The motivation's the difference. If pastors care about you, they'll talk about money because Jesus said, that's how you know how your heart's doing. And our job is to care for you and help you live for Jesus and your heart be devoted to Jesus. The earnestness of the Macedonians showed the genuineness of their love for Jesus. And based on your giving, I don't know what you give. That's why I get to make eye contact with all of you. It's awesome. You can zone right on in there, like deep eye contact, because I don't know what you give. I've not been sent here on like a headhunting mission. Here's a list of photos. Really give that guy a good stare. And I'm, I'm asking you because only I, because you, I don't know, because you know. Based on your giving, what does it show about your love for Jesus? It's not the only indicator, but it is certainly a serious indicator. So based on it, what does it show? Guys, listen to what your money says. Under, underneath what your money says, what your money's being spent on is the condition of your heart. Um, money's not wicked. You know, the, that, that whole, that, you know, oh, um, that, that whole mis, misread, you know, scripture, oh, money's the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money, right? Money's not wicked. Money is a tool to build the kingdom you believe in. Money is a tool to build the kingdom you believe in. So look over your shoulder, 2014 behind us, what kingdom did you build with your money? That's how simple this is. It's not manipulation. It's just fact. You are building a kingdom with your money. Which kingdom are you building? Love of money is harder to discern than we think. Um, I'm going to get honest about myself here real quick just because I've been so bold and strong. I think you should see this. This goes on in my heart too. Um, so I love this story, Acts 4 and 5. Have you read, read Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5? Acts 4 ends, you know, the church is just 
killing it. God shows up and people are getting saved and healed and it's just a phenomenal thing that goes on there. And Barnabas, this, this guy Barnabas, decides, I, I just can't help myself. I'm selling a field and he gives all the money, lays it down and says, I want to give it to the church. I want to see the gospel go forward. I want to see Jesus glorified. Here we go. And it seems to have started something of a, of a domino effect because the very next thing that happens, if you just turn the page to Acts chapter 5, the very, very, very next thing that happens is a couple named Ananias and Sapphira think, well, that's a heck of an idea. I love that. I love that heart, Barnabas. Good job. Let's do the same thing. So they sell a field and they bring some money and they don't bring all the money and they die, right? And this is not the point in the story where we say, and so that's, that's it. If you don't give the right amount of money today, you shall die. Right? That's not, that's not where we're going with this. I, for the longest time, have not been able to figure out what in the world happened with Ananias and Sapphira. And I'll, I'll tell you, based on pure speculation, I think recently, with my own life, I think I got a, I think I got a window into what happened there. Okay? I, here's what I think happened. I think they got more money than they thought they were going to get for that field. And I think they gave, I think they gave what they originally thought they would give what they thought they were going to get, and then kept the extra. That's pure speculation. I'll tell you why I think that. I, um, I was out in an island with a group of leaders. And, you know, I'm from this area. I'm born and raised there. You know, this is like my hometown. I've been there my whole life, and I've never seen anything like I, what, what I saw. I saw, you know, about 100 sharks, many of them beaching themselves, chasing fish. So I did what, what all modern people do. I took my phone out and videotaped this, right? <laughs> and... Um, you know, that happened, and then the, the next, beginning of the next week, um, my wife and I were on our, our, our weekly date night, and we were talking about this building project our church is doing, and we were saying, gosh, we just don't have, we've got two kids, you know, we, we, we only have one, one, in, you know, one you know, income, we don't have this, like, tons of extra money, over three years, how much can we give, and we're like, let's have faith and give more, and now let's have faith and give more, and we're going, to, and we're like, we did the, I did the math, like, over and over again on my phone, I'm like, gosh, it's still not that much money, I mean, I know people who, like, coffin that much money falls out of their pocket like I just it's just not a lot you know it's just not a lot of money and so together we just prayed and said God would you give us a way to make more money give us a way to make some crazy amount of money so we can be a blessing to this building project the very next day that's Monday night Tuesday morning um, somebody puts my video on Facebook and it trends number one nationwide all day and then someone posts it on on YouTube and it goes to a million views and YouTube calls our church office and says, would you guys like to make money? Well, yes, we would, right? <laughs> and instantly, I knew what I was supposed to do with this money. I was supposed to give it to the building project. So I told YouTube, here we go. Here's the church's PayPal information. I don't even want to be associated with it, right? And by the, end of the, by the end of the second day, this thing is like millions of views. You know, the whole, that whole next day, we shut down our church office because every phone call was CNN or the Washington Post or Inside Edition or somebody, right? Shark Week, National Geographic, you name it. And I signed a contract with the largest licensing agency in the world. They're based out of Ireland. And they're like, you guys are going to make a bunch of money off this. Exciting. I told everybody, this is going to the building project. That was Wednesday. Wednesday night, midnight, I launch out of bed with this major thought in my head. What have you done what have you done this was your moment this was like the the one shot you have at a lot of money 
and you're giving it to the building project. You're insane. Like, this is what I was thinking. I was laying there in bed, and I literally, after about an hour of just sitting up in bed, I was like, there's got to be a way out of this. Um, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to say, hey, I meant up to $20,000. That's a lot, right? That's a lot of money. Up to $20,000 building project. I was like thinking about that in the middle of the night. And you know what? It hit me. I I remembered for the first time, I identified with Ananias and Sapphira. I'm going to give this money. All of it? Gosh, really? Like all of this money? We have to bring all, we have to give all of this? See how hard it is to discern the love of money? You know, I'd always thought to myself, of course I'd be Barnabas. I'd sell the heck out of that field. You know why I thought that? Because I didn't have a field, right? (laughs) That's why I thought like that. When you have a field, it's harder to be Barnabas than Ananias and Sapphira. Love of money's tough, man. God's goal is not to manipulate us. It's to free us from loving money, to see him as this powerful provider who loves us, who's never going to let us beg for bread, who cares for us. And Romans says he so loved us, he, he, he gave up his only son. What else is, Romans says, what else has he got to do to show he loves you? He's going to look out for you. He gave his only son. What else? How, how will he not along with him give us all things? But we hoard it. Because we need it. You know? So, churches we find people giving for a lot of wrong reasons. And Paul doesn't just appeal to new actions. Just give, give, give. He appeals to a new motivation. Why you should give quickly? Why should we give? Why do we give sacrificially? Because it's what Jesus did. It's what it's what Jesus did, and He says that in Second Corinthians verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. That's the gospel. And this is the motivation. This is the, this is the rationale. This is, Paul's not just saying, so just give your money like the Macedonians and I'll get off your back. No, he says, see, your motivation is wrong. That's why you give so little because you see the gospel in such a little way. You hold on to your money because you, you, you forget that Jesus didn't hold on to his life. You, you cling to your stuff because you forget that, that the Father sent his only son. You're missing the gospel. That's why you don't give like this, is what he says. You don't have a money problem. You have a gospel problem. You, you, know, he says, you know the grace of God. You remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you remember that? He says, do you remember that? He was rich and he became poor for your sake so that you could become rich. What are you doing holding on to your money? Paul says. So how is, how is God calling you to respond today? Maybe you're making excuses. Maybe you're stuck in the past telling yourself that you don't love money. Everybody loves money. We're defaulted to love money. It's, we live a life of repentance as Christians. Oh, I'm sorry I love money again. I'm back to loving you, Jesus. It's not a lot of easy stuff to consider here. And Jesus, you know, this was a fork in the road for Jesus with a really influential guy. He was a rich, young ruler. Cha-ching, 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 Right? This guy could have helped Jesus in a whole bunch of ways. I mean, he could have really broke open some doors there. Rich, young, ruler, oh yeah, here we go. And this, and, and this was the fork in the road. Jesus said, hey, you know what? Your problem is, is all that money that you care about so much. 
You got you to get rid of that. It's just ruining your heart. You got to just let go of that money, give it away, and come follow me. And the guy's like, no, not doing it. There's a fork in the road. Jesus takes valuing money over him very seriously. And a huge part of us growing up as maturity as Christians is with our money. And guys, I think it's embarrassing how many Christians in America have been in church a long time, probably lead a bunch of Bible studies. Oh yeah, I'm really, I'm a mature Christian. Come follow me. Follow me like I'm following Jesus, but don't give any money. It is a major part of us growing up as Christians. It's just a fact. I'm sure I've offended you today. That's all right, I'm leaving, so. Maybe it was necessary. Maybe you need to be offended, you know? I don't, I mean, it's offensive to see a big x-ray with a broken spot in your bone. Oh, gosh, that, that's going to be painful. That's going to be costly. Yeah, but if we don't fix that, you know, it's going to be worse, right? So how have you, how have you given yourself Firstly, let me just talk to the guys who may be in the room not Christians. You know, on that little one-liner where he says they gave themselves firstly to the Lord, that's it. Before you give money, please, please. Before you give yourself to a church or leadership, please, please. The first thing you, you, you need to do is not give sacrificially of your money. The first thing you need to do is see that Jesus lived and died to give himself for you. Jesus was sinless not so that he could mock you, but so that he could have his record be used in your place. Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus was sacrificed. God gave, not so that he could get a tax break, but because he valued you. He thought you were worth something. So he paid for you with his blood. So before you hear, I should give, or anything else, you need to hear, now he gave for you. He gave himself for you. And if you haven't given yourself to him, if you haven't realized that, we'd love to talk to you and pray with you about that. For those of you in the room who are Christians, have you given yourself to giving sacrificially to God's mission? Where are you holding back? Where are you just consuming as a Christian? Some of you guys are in the stands and it's time to come down on the field. It's God's call for you to come out of the stands and get onto the field. That means giving money sacrificially to see gospels, the gospel advance among a whole bunch of other stuff. And I want to encourage you, don't live as a spectator in the kingdom of God. Man, like, let's, let's be participators. A um, couple more things. If you're here and you've been, you've been giving sacrificially for a long time, keep it up. Good job. People probably don't even know that that's, that's you. I, I just want to commend you. It's tough. It's tough to do that. But thank you for doing that. I, I want to say the charge of, uh, you know, the Bible's charge to you is do not grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep it up. Thank you so much. And finally, there might be people here who are struggling with debt and thinking, gosh, this sounds great, but I don't know. What am I supposed to do? You know, we just, we just, we just were unwise and we just racked up a bunch of debt and now we don't have any money for anything. And if that's you... I want to tell you, the pastors in this church want to help you. They want to come alongside you. You've got some, I mean, full-blown geniuses in this church when it comes to finances. And they would love to come alongside you and help coach you and lead you out of that to a place of health. You living in secret is not going to make the problem any better. Okay? This church would love to help you. 